Hello and welcome to the Church Times podcast. I'm Ed Thornton. This week we talked to freelance journalist Andy Walton, who we sent to the Diocese of Ely to discover how it is spending more than £2 million to increase church going in market towns. And we talked to Madeline Davies, who has been on the road with the Archbishop of Canterbury in Norfolk. Elsewhere in this week's paper, we have the results of our 21 for 21 competition to find young interfaith leaders. In comment, there's a dispatch from across the Atlantic giving an immigrant's perspective on the US midterm elections. In features, Natalie Collins talks to Ruth Afolabi about a magazine that covers faith, feminism and fashion. And we have two important pieces on the confession by Bishop Philip North and Canon Robin Ward. You can read all this and more by subscribing to The Church Times. Get 10 issues for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. The Diocese of Ely has been granted more than £2 million to increase church-going in its market towns. These include Huntingdon, birthplace of Oliver Cromwell and the former constituency of John Major. A team from St Andrew the Great Cambridge have planted Christchurch Huntingdon, which meets in a school. We sent Andy Walton to visit them. Just first of all, ask Madeline, our features editor, what what some of the background to this, why you commissioned this feature, how, how you thought it would be helpful for our readers to read about yeah. this? So for the last few years, we've been tracking the granting of pots of money to dioceses. They have to bid for this money. It comes from the church commissioners and they are using the money um, on specific projects which are generally designed to lead to church growth. So to get the money, you often have to provide some kind of evidence that you're confident that you'll spend it in ways that means that more people will come to church in your diocese. And this is the strategic development? Yeah. Um, And what we wanted to do was take a a closer look at some of these um, projects. We've looked at it um, kind of in quite broad detail. So over the coming months, what we want to do is to actually go to dioceses and take a closer look at how they secured the money, um, how it's being spent and maybe some kind of early signs um, of results. And we sent Andy, well, you sent Andy off on a train to Huntingdon. Mm. Is that right, Andy? How, how was that? Yeah, it was a great experience, actually. Uh, I attended Christchurch Huntingdon, um, which is one of the plants that's part of this massive, really, reorganisation that the diocese is going through. Huntingdon is one of what they call the market towns, so one of the smaller towns of the diocese that isn't Ely itself or Cambridge, which is obviously kind of the main uh, centre, the main hub of the diocese. It's got a lot of um, market towns that are struggling attendance-wise. Huntingdon itself has 0.3% of its population going to a Church of England church, uh, and others aren't doing a great deal better. And so to be there, I was there on the first morning that they met, so there's obviously a great deal of excitement, kids running around, you know, there's the the smell of fresh coffee to welcome people and so forth. Um, Fairly traded fresh coffee. Fairly traded fresh coffee yeah I was pleased to see um a lot of excitement about the possibilities there but you also do get a sense that actually there is a big big uphill battle for a diocese like Ely and towns like Huntingdon where people have just got out of the habit it would seem of going to church there's not a great antipathy towards Christianity I don't think there's not kind of a big atheist new atheist campaigns there or anything like that but people were just going about their day shopping on the Sunday they, they didn't seem to be Queuing, they were queuing outside Lidl, they weren't queuing outside the church, shall we say. 
And this is a, a group from St Andrew the Great in Cambridge, one of the sort of flagship conservative evangelical churches, many students. And what are they trying to do differently in Huntington? Presumably it's a very different context to, to Cambridge. Yeah, so St Andrew the Great, obviously, as you say, in the heart of Cambridge is uh, used to kind of reaching out to students. Uh, and, you know, that, that breeds a particular kind of maybe uh, academic type expository preaching, for instance. Um, they've planted, I think, three times in the past. This is the fourth uh, plant from St Andrew the Great. And the idea here is, I think, to be more accessible. So the plant in Huntingdon is taking place in a school hall rather than a what you might call traditional uh, church building, uh, which obviously kind of reduces the barriers to entry, as it were. Some people who don't like necessarily going into a churchy-looking church uh, will be less intimidated by going into uh, a school hall, although I guess any institution like a school brings with it its own challenges maybe as well for some people um and yes the service um that i attended was very low-key very um informal a very chatty tone to it i guess you would say the preach was about 15 minutes which would probably be on the short side for your average conservative evangelical church i would say lots of modern uh hymns and songs uh, were sung by a sort of piano and guitar that kind of thing um and yeah they they seemed to be really in it for the long haul i think that would be my other impression and one interesting thing I noticed in your piece was that, I mean, there has been a pattern perhaps with some church plants being city centre, areas with many students, but this is not that. This is in a quite a different area. There are initiatives, obviously, across the country, but I think that's what makes what Ely is doing here quite interesting uh, because the, the, the fact is that most church plants have either gone to sort of relatively wealthy suburban areas uh, to city centres that have got student populations, that kind of thing. And that's no criticism, it's just how how it is. The next phase of church planting um, that's being looked at across the church, I think, is into areas that are more challenging, more demanding. So one of those would be, say, uh, council estates in, in cities and towns. This initiative is more to do with these market towns that are kind of cut off a little bit from the big centres of population and don't have that habit of church going as I say and what I was most impressed by by the people who'd made the decision to become part of this plant is the way that many of them had kind of uprooted their lives from Cambridge and all the kind of attendant cultural and entertainment possibilities that a city like Cambridge has to move to somewhere like Huntingdon that's more off the beaten track and it does show their commitment really yeah I think it's quite interesting that um, when you look at the plan which the diocese has put together, which is called Changing Market Towns, what they've envisaged is 780 new church attenders. And that's with an investment of over £4 million, because the £2 million is just from the church commissioners. The diocese is investing its own money as well. Um, so it's quite a large amount of money for that, for that, that number of new church attenders. Um, and it's also envisaged that most of those won't be going to existing churches. So 370 of them are expected to attend Fresh Expressions and 220 church plants. And Christchurch Huntington is only one of the church plants um, which is envisaged. So I think there were kind of questions to be asked about the changing face of the Church of England and the way in which this money is being used. And I know there will be some people who kind of have questions about this move away from maybe the traditional parish church model towards something different. I was quite interested that when Andy spoke to other clergy who are in the diocese, because what we want to do when we look at these plans is not just speak to people who are behind them and would obviously be very positive about them, but try and get a sense of how people on the ground feel. Um, And I was quite struck that I I think from what you said, the feedback was largely positive. So we, we didn't get people saying, 
well, what about the existing parish churches or are you undermining what's already there? Um, not to say that that sentiment isn't there, but it didn't really come through in your interviews. That's right. A couple of clergy who are quoted um, in the piece are from other towns. Uh, there are several other market towns as, as well as Huntingdon that are having these new initiatives. And they tend to be uh, positive and almost saying we wish some change had come sooner. We wish we'd had a bit more support sooner because this is extra funding, of course, coming from the church commissioners on top of what's already been um, available. I think it's probably worth saying as well that actually there is, I think, an increasing realisation across large parts of the church now that if something isn't done, you know, the latest attendance figures, of course, coming out this week, then (laughs) there isn't going to be a great deal of church left to plant uh, or to you know expand and so i think maybe some some critics uh still have their reservations but are probably making their peace with the fact that something has to be done the idea you know the question is is this model that ely's trying going to work mm. i think we'd also encourage um, people to get in touch with us we do want to record many voices on this topic we don't just want to kind of unthinkingly publish what dioceses say about this project we do want to hear from people who have different opinions i mean one of the, the major aspects of the plan in Ely is um, early exit for a number of clergy. Mm. Um, and what we heard in the piece was actually some people would like to move on, they'd like to retire. But in other cases, it says, um, you know, where major church decline has taken place, early exit may be the way forward. And you just assume that in some cases that will be quite painful. And certainly that will probably be replicated in some of the other plans for diocese will be reorganisation of parishes, um, perhaps people's jobs changing. And I think it is quite difficult for them, people, to speak out about that at the time. But personally, kind of at church times, I'm I'm quite concerned to be fair to people and and to hear from people who are concerned as well as people who feel very positively towards these plans. Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, worth mentioning that we, as we sit here in central London, the fact that we have actually been out and, and looked at how this is working and spoken to people who are, you know, there'll be people reading the paper this week, people listening to this right now who are clergy, who are, um, you know, lay leaders in congregations that are maybe you know, 10 or 15 people uh, sharing clergy between maybe 10 different uh, parishes, different churches. Um, And so we don't want to paint too rosy a picture of what's happening. But for life to be reinvigorated into those congregations, it strikes me that innovation has to happen. Now, as as I said a moment ago, the question is whether this Ely model will be the model that can work also in Carlisle or in Truro or, you know, who knows where else. I mean, one of the things that Ely's drawing upon is the presence of Cambridge in the midst of the diocese and therefore it's got access to say Ridley Hall is offering uh, the the uh, theological college is offering some resources to the churches who are involved in this planting well if you don't have a theological college you know a, a sizable and and influential theological college like Ridley in your midst well can you replicate what's going on here you know and, and a part of the agenda I think that the commissioners need to have is is not to impose one model on everyone and it would seem and Madeline knows more about this because she's been looking into this nationwide but the the model that will fit in a given uh, urban diocese will be very different to a model that will fit in a in a rural diocese but they've all got to have a plan that looks right for their context and i think we focused on the church plant because it's one of the first things that's happening as part of the changing market town strategy but there are lots of other things happening i think people often alight on church plants as the major kind of strategic development grant um, aspect so for example in wisbeck um, which is um, quite a deprived part of the country they're establishing a learning center which will be delivering um, local 
local training um, to people. So that's something quite different from a church plant. There's also plans for an evangelism coach, which I think has, has been yet um, to start work. But I think those are things that we'd like to look at as well. So as well as the church planting and um, some of these different ways in, in which people are trying to do mission. And um, I think Ridley Hall are teaming up with a learning centre. So that's, I think, quite an interesting idea to try and connect Cambridge, where I think it is about 3% of people um, attend church and a much higher percentage um, with somewhere like Wisbeck. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds as well. And I think one of the other interesting aspects about that is what are these churches which are not obviously Anglican or not obviously Church of England. So the only, I say in the piece, um, the only sort of identifiable bits of uh, liturgy uh, that were in the service were, I think it was the the Collect for the Week and uh, the Common Worship Confession. You know, are people... Uh, kind of affirming their status as Anglicans these days. Well, we know from surveys that's absolutely not the case. But somewhere like Christchurch Huntingdon meeting in um, a church hall might attract Christians from other places who like what they're they're doing. That's one form of growth. But obviously the key is getting people in who aren't currently churchgoers, who aren't attending. And so is that possible in other forms of church that are more recognisably Anglican or more recognisably church, shall we say, in that sense? Is it possible? And I know... Um, Anglo-Catholics who are very um, interested in planting will say, absolutely, it is. You know, the Mass is a, a form of attractional church if done in an accessible way and in a way that welcomes. Um, the proof will be in the, the pudding of all of these different models, of course, and, and the stats we've had this week, well, well, we'll keep pouring over them, won't we, next year and the year after and in five years' time. And when will we know when these uh, measures are taking place and and are actually having an effect. I think one of the things that Ely's to be commended for is that actually they've got these targets, which we can measure them against. So we'll be able to revisit this story in, I think it's two or three years' time, those figures that Madeline mentioned before, the 780 new worshippers are due to be in pews or in (laughs) school hall seats by. Um, We'll be able to measure how successful this funding has been. I did ask um, the Bishop of Manchester this week when I was doing the national statistics story about when we could expect some measurement of really what's happened to the money that's been spent um, by the by the church commissioners. And he did think that it would take at least a couple of years and that you'd actually have to look quite specifically at the place um, where these grants have been used. And he also kind of stressed that you need to see how sustainable the growth is as well. So not just kind of a snapshot of we've got X many new people, but is that really sustainable? Or- is it continuing to grow? Um, are people staying? So um, I think he's sort of quite cautious about how we go about doing that. And also kind of stress that there's a danger that we only value what we measure. And he's somebody that has used statistics a lot, I think, for his PhD and other forms of research. But it did stress to me that numbers are never the whole story. And I think you had a couple of quotes from people that kind of affirmed that. That's right. The um, the minister in, in charge at Christchurch, uh, Huntingdon, Charlie, was was saying that he's he's looking for a depth of discipleship. I've certainly heard Stephen Cottrell, the Bishop of Chelmsford, who's from that more Catholic wing of the Church of England, of course, but is very interested in, in evangelism and church growth, say that he sees it as not in competition to get more bums on seats, uh, and to deepen discipleship because, you know, every bomb on every seat is also someone's life potentially being changed and, and growing in uh, relationship with God and with others um, around them. So I think, again, I think it's probably one of those things that's been a conversation maybe for the last 10 years, uh, but we're starting to get to the point where we're not seeing these two things in competition. Um, well, we 
we do depth of relationship and discipleship here. Oh, well, you over there, you're only interested in getting bums on seats. Well, actually, I think more and more churches are realizing it's got to be both and. And I don't say that as a sort of heavy thing. Again, to any clergy listening, here's another thing you have to add to your list. Not only do you have to be, you know, discipling people, but you also have to be adding to the numbers. Well, no, but again, the point we made before about statistics, um, it's now well known that the church probably is in an existential fight for survival. And I think that's scalvinizing some people as well. You know, the, the people we spoke to in this piece, um, young people uh, who'd upped sticks, moved their families and, and changed their whole lives, people who were making, you know, some real sacrifices to be a part of that community. It's actually inspiring to me. Next, Madeline has been on tour with the Archbishop of Canterbury in Norfolk. You've been visiting the Diocese of Norwich, haven't you? Yeah, so this is um, obviously something that happens quite regularly. He's also just toured the Diocese of Rochester. Uh, but it's the first time that I've been invited along to accompany him and, and see kind of what these tours look like. Um, so I spent um, a day and then a morning with him. Um, the day was, I guess, a theme around um, living on the edge. Um, so this idea of communities um, in coastal areas and some of the challenges that they face um, and some of the ways that the church is responding. So that was kind of the theme that ran throughout the day. And you open your write-up this week on page four and five of the paper by saying it remind, he reminds you somewhat of a politician on the campaign trail. Yeah, which isn't kind of meant pejoratively, no, but no. there is a sense in which you're kind of going around shaking hands, meeting people, encouraging them, going to schools, going to hospital, um, going to charities and, and kind of praising the work underway there. So there was kind of a feel of that and you're kind of traveling on this minibus and there's actually quite a big team that travel with him. So there's press people, there's someone from public affairs, there's the local bishop, the bishop's chaplain. So it's kind of quite a big entourage going with it and there's kind of briefings on the way and who am I meeting next? Um, what's the background there? So um, there was a sense in which I felt it was a little bit kind of like being on the campaign trail. I mean, unlike a politician, perhaps he's more popular in, in the country <laughs> and, and the people he meets aren't um, yeah. sort of put there by party HQ. Yeah, you, I think... you seem to observe that many sort of ordinary members of the public, not necessarily churchgoers, did receive him very warmly. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things I was quite struck by is... Um, we do think of Britain as quite a secular country and actually the percentage of people when you go out and about who are actually going to be in church is, is very small. Um, but there was a warmth. There were, um, you know, people tend to applaud him as he left. Um, some people wanted selfies with him. Um, and I kind of felt that when you're in public places and there was a blessing or a prayer, um, people were generally kind of quite reverential. So they would bow their heads when they are asked to um a lot of people were happy to say amen and that kind of struck me because I, I guess I do often think that kind of outside the church people are increasingly perhaps kind of those practices are becoming more alien but I did sense um sort of a very high level of respect for him and kind of a happiness to take part in some of the kind of public acts of liturgy is there a danger of these visits that it's the diocese I mean showcasing its most successful projects or its best stuff so he doesn't get a view of the real of the reality um i mean certainly for the the day that i was accompanying him on we often went to parishes that were in very deprived areas i mean that's kind of true that the coastal communities we know um are often um kind of significant presence in measures of deprivation um so that was kind of a theme of the day and i guess what he was being shown was how is the church responding so it might not necessarily be that the places that we went to um had huge numbers um attending on a sunday but it, it was 
understood was that the church was reaching out and trying to um, serve people offering in quite sort of severe levels of need um, so for example we went to Great Yarmouth and it's um, one of the most deprived parishes in the country um, and the project that we met there was basically serving people um, lunches and also helping people with debt so it, it was really looking at um, how the church responds to need. Um, the archbishop's very keen to say that alongside that, they're not ashamed of Jesus. So there's not a sense in which um, we do social action, but there's no element of evangelism or no attempt to share the gospel that goes alongside that. But I think he was quite struck by the level of need and also really happy to see that the church is kind of digging in there. I could not believe his energy levels. I, to be honest, was really flagging <laughs> by the end of the day I was exhausted and he was still absolutely delighted to meet everyone I, th I don't know maybe he's an extrovert but he was really buoyed um, by what he saw you could yeah. tell he was really encouraged by it and he he would often say like this is what the church should be doing I think he's so impressed by people who are um, reaching out and mm. And, and as he said, kind of meeting people at their point of need. And he's also kind of somebody that doesn't really want to meet the people at the front. So when we would arrive somewhere, he would be the one that went to the kitchen or went up to the bell tower to meet the bell ringers or met the people who were doing the serving. He's very quick to do that. So we'll often actually won't really meet the dignitaries as much as he was actually kind of rolling their sleeves up. And I think he does derive an enormous amount of energy from, from meeting people like that. Andy, you were in the community of St Anselm at Lambeth Palace last year. So That's right. You, you spent a bit of time with, with the Archbishop. What, what was your impression? Yeah, I think a lot of what Madeline says rings true in terms of the schedule. I mean, it's quite astonishing when you when you live at Lambeth Palace for a year, you see the sheer range of stuff that the Archbishop has to deal with, some of which will be internal church business, some of which will be visiting dignitaries, you know, all of a sudden the former president of Nigeria is passing through and, you know, needs a meeting and, and, and so forth. Um, but we did also, in, in Holy Week this year, actually, we um, spent a week on one of these visits. Um, every year in Holy Week, the Archbishop alternates between being in Canterbury itself and giving a series of lectures and being in one of the deaneries of the diocese. Um, and so we went to the Thanet Deanery, um, which is very similar to what you were describing, coastal, you know, areas of quite quite big deprivation alongside nicer, well, nicer, but, you know, more uh, well-to-do areas like Broadstairs. Um, and I was absolutely bowled away by the, the energy and, you know, um, Q&A session that he held in the country's biggest weather spoons in Ramsgate, which was great fun. There was a number of, I mean, I'm thinking particularly of um, Holy Trinity Church in Margate, that as soon as you walked in the door, there was a board with 20 different activities that were happening in the church that week. It was just astonishing. St. Paul's in Margate was another place um, that I visited um, with the Archbishop. There was a lovely little moment, actually. I was with some members of the community, one from Zimbabwe and two from Pakistan, and um, they looked quite concerned when um, the Archbishop arrived because there was no one there to meet him. Um, and of course, in, in their cultures, when the Bishop arrives, let alone the Archbishop, there would be a, a welcoming uh, committee. But then after that, um, Justin Welby proceeded to kind of just help move the chairs, put out the orange squash that was happening for the kind of um, event that was happening later on at, at St. Paul's Margate. And they were bowled over by this, that the Archbishop would just muck in and, and help set up. And that was actually a brilliant evening. It was brilliant it was some really marginalized people some homeless people people really on the edge and the archbishop spent 20 minutes uh, just chatting to one guy moved on to the next guy um, 
and there was a church service. It wasn't, uh, oh, this is a meal for the homeless people that we keep separate from church. No, this was, there was worship going on there. And it was, it was really quite profound. So I can see how it really does raise his morale to get out and see this good stuff that's happening rather than, you know, sometimes getting weighed down by some of the politics of the communion and that kind of thing. I think as well, um, it really struck me that I think a lot of these visits are actually fodder for political interventions. Um, so something that kept coming up in the BBC Q&A at the end was, has the Church of England become the Labour Party at prayer? Why are you getting involved in that in that way? And I think he's derived enormous amount of confidence from being on the ground and I think he thinks it's his job to take those stories from parishes and that that actually gives him the authority to make the interventions that he does so we were talking to somebody I think who was um, talking about the rollout of universal credit because Great Yarmouth was one of the pilots for that and you know I was sort of over listening and and he was basically saying well this is you know this is why I've spoken about it because um, you know the clergy in Great Yarmouth were talking about the impact that, that the rollout had on the area and I think he just takes from that the authority to then make political interventions and I think would feel that he was letting down people if he collected all this evidence as I think he would see it from parishes and then do nothing with it when he does have the privilege of, of access to Parliament. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. I mean, we talk about declining numbers in, in the church. Um, I mean, obviously, the churches in this country, not just the Church of England, but are still by far and away the biggest civil society institution that we've got. And I think the Archbishop sees his role in some way as being a representative, not just of the Church of England, but of the other churches, and to a lesser extent, maybe, other faith groups as well. Um, and if you put all that together, he's speaking for a much bigger constituency than any politician is, you know, is, as, as much as the Labour Party is, is bigger, maybe, than any other political party in Europe at this stage. It's still tiny compared to people who are attached to the church and that's before we even get on to the number of people who are affected by church services there was some research from theos a couple of years ago said that around 10 million people a year interact with church social services that's a huge number of people now obviously they're not all talking about universal credit but many of them are interacting with food banks and with debt advice services and that kind of thing that gives i think gives the archbishop at least a permission shall we say to speak on these things and I think it brought back to me something which the Diocese of Liverpool uses, which is um, talking about a bigger church to make a bigger difference. So maybe kind of coming back full circle to our discussion about numbers, kind of one of the things that struck me is that sometimes we separate those two things. And I sort of feel that perhaps one of the reasons why the Archbishop does have this drive to grow the church is that we can't actually do a lot of this community work if we don't have anybody to do it and so I think Liverpool's point about you know we don't just want more numbers for the sake of it it's for changed lives to introduce people to Jesus and it's all to to make a big difference to our communities and I think that kind of really struck me on the on the tour yeah and I wonder if it works the opposite way around as well some people who get involved in a homeless ministry or in street pastoring or in volunteering at the food bank maybe on the edges of church or not really Christians at all but see the good work that's going on and church is therefore just a bit more plausible as something for them to get involved in rather than you know if they don't have the metaphysical beliefs to begin with well fine but come and stack some shelves come and fill some bags at the food bank and maybe you end up having a chat over the the tins of beans and and something happens thank you for listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the church times you can try your first 10 issues for just 10 pounds you'll get the paper delivered to your door every friday plus full access to our website and digital archive 
go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.